0: All right. Greetings to all of our campuses, to those of you out west, as well as uh, those of you in our traditions venue. We are so glad you're here. You know, before we jump into the message today, I want to spend a few minutes celebrating something really cool. 11 months ago, we launched a year-long initiative called Gospel Unleashed, Hope Renewed. And in many ways, it was a continuation of this global heartbeat that God has put on our church um, and put on our church a decade ago. Many of you you have given generously to Hope Renewed, and we are so grateful for that. Over this past year, God has done some amazing things in people's lives through your generosity. So as Hope Renewed comes to a conclusion at the end of February, we wanted to take a few minutes of this this time here, take a, t- a few minutes here and celebrate what God has done. You were given a, a, a magazine, I believe you were given a magazine when you came in today that tells some of these stories, but I also have asked uh, Pastor Steve Offling to come up for a couple minutes and share some impact that Gospel Unleashed, Hope Renewed has had this past year. So, Steve, come on up and share with us. Thank you.
1: Well, this is a special day, and uh, I want you to to know something as I begin. You have made an eternal difference in the lives of many people. You have. And it's a great story. You know, this this story has really been a story that's reached back... uh, years before even uh, Gospel Unleashed, Hope Renewed. And it was a a big and scary vision to us as we were just impressed with God's leading for us to go into our city and into this world with the good news of the the gospel. And you prayed, you gave, uh, we participated together, and God has done a great thing. And we want to celebrate that for a few moments today. Some of the things, some of the highlights that he has accomplished during that time. We have learned a lot. We've taken some major steps of faith. We have been transformed in the process of everything that you're gonna hear tonight. And maybe the question is, well, was it worth it? Did it really matter that we were involved in this? Well, let me just share a few highlights and you'll catch some of the pictures uh, as well. Through Gospel and Leash, you were involved in addressing one of the most evil practices that's on the planet planet right now, and that is the, the practice of sex trafficking. Uh, We have partnerships that we have formed, and one of those partnerships is in India uh, with a wonderful group of people there that we work alongside, helping women and children who are caught in this evil. Now, our partners in India have, uh, have an office right in the heart of the red light district in the busiest part of Delhi, India. They have schools and clinics in the slum areas of that city. And they have two wonderful homes called Courage Homes in Atulia that welcome in girls, one for minor girls and one for girls as they become 18 years of age, that care for them and love them and help them in counseling areas and just to recover from the horrors of their past. One girl, is, her, her name is Mira. Mira uh, had a, a father who abused her uh, for years and then later the father began to prostitute her on, prostitute her on the street. After years of this, Mira ran away. And in God's providence, she met someone who brought her to Courage Homes where she became a resident there. She was loved, she was cared for. Uh, She uh, found Jesus there as well. And she writes this, I know know that no one in the world can love me as a father like my father in heaven does. I am precious to him. Mira's gonna be a lawyer one day. Go get a Mira. This is Mildred. Mildred is a wonderful girl. Many of you maybe have met Mildred. She was one of the first girls who was a resident at the Girls' Rescue Center in Kenya. Uh, And a wonderful, wonderful girl. Now in Mildred's world, girls and women have no rights. They have little value. They are traumatized with a ritual abuse at a very early age. And they are usually sold by their fathers uh, into polygamous marriages at an early age. Uh, the Girls' Rescue Center is an oasis, a cultural oasis in that kind of a world that provides hope and a future healing and, and great help and skills for girls like Mildred. 100% of our girls graduate from secondary school in a, in a culture that does not value the education of women. That's an amazing thing. Now, Mildred is a university student. She's about to graduate this later this year. And oddly enough, Mildred found herself as an intern in her program in the very place where she found the Girls Rescue Center eight years prior. And so she's working in that area to help girls just like herself find hope that comes from Christ. Mildred actually has written to us. She says, I wanna thank you as you've enabled me to realize my dreams. My future looks bright because of your sacrifice. So good going. Do you know that our number one health problem in this world today is inaccessibility to clean water? Many suffer, some die from that uh, issue. Gospel Unleash has trained and resourced many uh, people around the world in just providing clean water. Uh, these people in the picture are people from LifeWay, Lifeway Mission in Kenya. And they are coordinators that we have worked with in uh, many different uh, ways, but one of those ways was to train them in clean water. Uh, technology and provide resources to equip them. They, this group is an amazing group. They're an indigenous African uh, people group and love Jesus. They went into communities all over tribal Africa and into nine countries in Africa, uh, bringing clean water, but also bringing the gospel. 900 churches have begun through their efforts last year alone, amazing kind of work. I love this photo that's coming up on the screen. Sometimes what we do with Gospel Unleashed is totally spontaneous. I mean, just not planned, it's not in the the cards. And our Gospel Unleashed team found in Uganda this little guy who was barely breathing when they found him, has a host of problems. You can read about it in the magazine. Uh, Looked very dim and the the community around him just uh, had figured he was going to die. They prayed for him and he didn't die. And then they took him to a regional hospital for some needed surgery and he came back into the community totally well and healed. People were astounded, it was a great day. And just uh, three and a half weeks ago, we had a team there, and they were amazed because not only was this community totally transformed, but for the first time, they had a church in this community with 76 people in attendance, uh, many of whom were Muslim people who uh, had rejected uh, the Lord Jesus prior to that and saw what God could do. It's pretty exciting. The map you're about to see is an area of the world that we are very deeply involved in. You see maps like this all the time in a newspaper. It kind of shades where the Bashar Assad forces are and where the ISIS forces are and the Al-Nusra forces and so forth. Uh, One of the great tragedies today is what's happening in in Syria. I think you know uh, a quarter million people have died. Uh, There are millions of people who are displaced from their homes uh, half of refugees are children who are now being exploited in that kind of a climate. Uh, we just had a, a news I'll just share briefly. Yesterday, we received a call from Syria, from Danny, our, our leader there. And uh, many of you prayed for a lady by the name of Madeline, who is one of our, in one of our sister churches, 24 year old, beautiful girl, just married the week before. She was kidnapped by ISIS for the last two months. And yesterday morning, she was free. And we just rejoice in that. And uh, the work is continuing there in Syria. We're just thankful. There's another Syria map I wanna show you. And this is where Jesus controlled areas reside. And that is because there are hundreds of churches that exist in Syria today because of you, your prayers, your gifts, your participation. It's an amazing work that's taking place there. And we have been involved in helping to support uh, church planters on the ground there and as well as training leaders. And uh, hopefully we will get back there actually this summer in that region. I sometimes get the question about Syria because it's such a, a newsworthy thing. What do Syrian churches look like? You're talking about hundreds of churches. Well, let me just show a few photos that just came uh, last month that I, I think are pretty exciting. When I, when I saw these, I just kind of, th- oh, thank you, Lord. Some of the churches are, are meeting in houses Some of them meet secretly, some of them meet openly, but here's a church, and they just use every space they can, on the stairways, on the floor, wherever it might be, to worship Jesus. Some are in in buildings. Uh, This is a church in Latakia, in the northwest part of the country. Some of you who are here have been in this church, we've spoken there. It's packed with people, and despite the persecution, despite the danger and the risk, these people are there and they're worshiping Jesus. This particular church by the way, the former church there, they minister on a regular basis to 1,700 refugee families sharing the gospel, sharing food, sharing medicine, sharing blankets to people in need. It's been closed by the government, reopened, they close it, they reopen it and this, and God's winning uh, that battle by the way. Uh, This is another church, you notice again the faces, the people uh, and despite the risks, some of these churches are, they have bombs exploding during the services outside, down the street, whatever it might be. Um, but I love their commitment. This picture I have to show you. This is a man by the name of Hussein. Hussein is, it's significant because he's a pastor, but more than that, he is our first Druze pastor in Syria. Now what's exciting there is we've been engaged in two different people groups in Syria that have come to know Jesus. There are now hundreds of believers among the Druze in Syria, but this is our first Druze pastor who's been trained and equipped and discipled to carry on the work. This week, this year has also brought major expansion in the Middle East in some very unlikely places. We've been in Egypt um, five years and three presidents into the Arab Spring. The country is open again for us to come and we're thankful for that uh, as well as in Israel as well. Another of my favorite photos is this next one, and it is a photo that we should not have received, but we did, so I'm gonna show it to you anyway. It's inside a prison in Peru, and a great place where there's a movement of hundreds of inmates uh, who are serving Jesus and preparing for ministry. Uh, this is totally inmate-led, gospel unleashed, trained, and God-supported. It's just a great work, and uh, we're happy about that. Some other churches also in Arequipa and Chincha, where teams have gone out each summer to work there as well. Another surprise is the work among the deaf community in East Africa. Three quarters of a million East Africans are deaf, and they've been a forgotten group. And uh, Joseph, as you'll see in this picture, is just a great guy, we just love him. Uh, He gets it, as you can tell in the picture. And again, one of our deaf leaders. The ITI movement continues to grow in parts of Africa, Middle East, South America, Latin America, Uh, More than 1,000 leaders are involved in this program. Hundreds of them have graduated in this practical, biblical, relational kind of training that's taking place. Here are some of our uh, Egyptians. I thought you might enjoy them. What impresses me, look at the age of these people. These are leading a nation to Christ and they're all pretty young. Uh, I feel like an old timer when I'm there. Your gifts through Gospel Unleashed also have been translated into the multiplication of ministry. Some of our grads train others. Uh, This is our dream team. They are an African mixed tribal group that goes out to other countries sharing the same things that they have learned themselves. Uh, A lot of fun, by the way. And and think about the impact. Uh, If each one of these, for every thousand people in our program, each one of them maybe has an, an impact with 50 lives or 100 lives. Think of what that means when you do the math. 50,000 or 100,000 people for every 1,000 people we can train and develop is pretty, pretty exciting. Then I put on this last slide, just not only because I love Zoe's and I love coffee, but also because the coffee that you drink at Zoe's, uh, much of it, the coffee you drink at 15th Street or our West Campus comes from Peru, from our coffee farm there. And it's a pretty exciting work where uh, that kind of uh, relationship of marketing coffee can actually lead to more sustainable ministry uh, in the work in Peru. Also each Sunday, sizable congregations meet from the Corini Pop people group and the Spanish uh, ethnic group, as well as a Corin church that uses our facilities as well. And we're thankful for that. Well, in all of this, what has happened? Well, because of your generosity and your prayers and your involvement, the gospel has indeed been unleashed. We're excited. You said yes to a vision, and God moved and honored that commitment, and we're thankful for you. The good news as well is all of what you've seen will not only continue, but will expand as we move forward. And I am really supportive and excited about what's coming ahead, which you're gonna be hearing about in coming weeks. So church, well done, and thank you once again.
0: Wow. Uh, I think Steve could have gone on for a couple more hours uh, telling stories. Uh, It's just amazing what God is doing um, through this church around the world. And uh, we we praise God for being part of stories like that. And as Steve mentioned, we're excited that these partnerships and stories are going to continue and increase in the future, which we're going to hear more about uh, next week. Next week is Super Bowl weekend, Um, but not only um, for the reason that you think. Yes, we all will be cheering. Well, not all, but most of us here will. We'll be cheering the Broncos on at 4:30 next Sunday. But in our services that weekend, I'm going to officially unveil an incredibly exciting vision God has given to us as a church, a vision to impact the lives of thousands and thousands of people for generations to come you will not want to miss next week at Christ Community, okay? It's going to be a super weekend on multiple counts. Uh, I can't wait, so don't, don't miss it. <clears throat> okay, so during the month of, of January, we have been learning together about this amazing privilege that we as believers have in in, in believers in Jesus have, and that privilege is prayer. Every one of us has this incredible opportunity to connect our heart with God's heart in prayer. And so we have been learning about prayer from the example of Nehemiah Maya in the Bible. And as I've said all along, what makes Nehemiah such a powerful example for us is that Nehemiah is not an apostle, he's not a priest in the temple, he's an ordinary guy with a secular job. He's a working man, and yet he is a man of faith, a man who lives a life of prayer. And through his prayer life, we can be inspired to grow in prayer and to see that it's attainable to do so. Prayer can become a way of life for all of us. So if you have your Bible or, or iPad or smartphone with a Bible app or whatever, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Just to set the context here, Nehemiah works for King Artaxerxes in Persia. One day he hears that his hometown, the city of Jerusalem, is not doing well. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned. The city and the people of Jerusalem are vulnerable to attack. So when Nehemiah hears this news, his heart is broken and he instinctively begins to pray. And so for the past four weeks, we have been looking at chapter one in this book where we see Nehemiah praying. We, we learned about how God wants us to come to him messy, you know, come just as we are. And we also learned about how powerful it is when we focus our prayers on God, on who he is and his promises. And then last week we saw how prayer can be very personal. We can pray for our needs and we can we confess our sins and all those things. So, so in chapter chapter 4 we're going to jump ahead a little bit. In chapter four, we see one final aspect of Nehemiah's prayer life that is to be an essential part of all of our prayer lives, and it's what I refer to as battlefield praying. You see, a healthy prayer life recognizes the spiritual battles that we are in. We have an enemy that is trying to thwart God's activity in our lives, and he is really good at what he does. He's been practicing for a very long time, a very, very, very long time. So, So prayer is a vitally important facet in our success in this battle. And Nehemiah shows us here some helpful things about battlefield praying. In chapter four, Nehemiah has now returned to Jerusalem. He has mobilized God's people to begin rebuilding the wall. And as they begin this important task, they immediately experience opposition Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones." Now, this is classic here. These two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, start to hurl insults and ridicule at the Jews rebuilding the wall. What are these feeble Jews doing? Even a fox, you know, couldn't stand on that wall, and it caused it to topple over. I mean, this is so like our enemy. Satan is a liar and an accuser. He taunts us. He ridicules us. He tries to bring discouragement through his lies and his words have any of you here ever experienced him doing that to you? You know, those subtle demonic whispers. You'll never amount to anything. You are destined for failure. There is no hope for you. You'll never be able to overcome this depression. You'll never be able to overcome that, this anxiety. You ought to just give up right now. See, some of us here are listening to those lies and we're believing them. We're not recognizing them as the voice of the enemy. We're just letting Satan pile on despair and discouragement, and we're forgetting that we have a weapon to use against him. So notice how Nehemiah wields this weapon. He responds to his enemies. Verse four, hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Then jumping down to verse 8, he explains what happened. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. So the, the enemies are growing here. And stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Okay, so in the midst of this spiritual battle, Nehemiah prayed. He knew that God's help was vital in this battle and that on his own, he would not be able to defeat this enemy. So he prayed. Prayer is critically important in the spiritual battle we face. It is not simply a good idea. It's not simply an optional thing, nor is it sort of a Hail Mary pass when nothing else works. Prayer is our primary offensive weapon. It is essential in this battle. Without it, we are toast. So what does battlefield praying look like? Well, notice what Nehemiah prayed. Verse four, God, he said, turn their insults on their own heads. In other words, get them, Lord, <laughs> right? Get them, Lord. He was doing battle in prayer against these enemies that were opposing the work of God. Now for us, The application is very clear when it comes to our spiritual enemies. In the midst of, you know, of Satan and his demonic host mocking and lying and accusing and trying to discourage us, all the things they do. In the midst of that, our prayers can be very similar, are to be very similar to Nehemiah's. Get them, Lord. It's okay to pray that. Get them. Drive back the enemy. Confuse their plans. Now, thankfully, in the New Testament, we have a little more information regarding the content of this kind of praying by looking at Jesus. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he included this particular line. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a battlefield prayer. That's a battlefield prayer. Jesus acknowledges the reality of our enemy and he encourages us to pray about that. Now, now there are two aspects of this battlefield prayer that Jesus gives us here and I want to highlight both of these. The first aspect of battlefield praying or of this battlefield prayer is lead us. Lead us. Lead us not into temptation. Now, this is often confusing. We say these words a lot, but it's often confusing for many people because the Bible also says that God doesn't tempt anyone. So why should we pray for God not to lead us into temptation? He would never do that anyway. I think the I, I think the, the, the meaning becomes clearer when we put a mental comma after the phrase, lead us. So rather than lead us not into temptation, the prayer becomes lead us not into temptation, but into truth, into life, into all that you have for us. See, the heart of this prayer is God's leading. We need God to lead us into truth. Why? Because, as I mentioned earlier, our enemy loves to lie to us, he lies, that's what he does. Satan lies, he's a liar. That's what Jesus called him, he's a liar. In fact, every temptation we face, any temptation we face, every one of them, to gossip, to exaggerate the truth on our resume, to cheat on our taxes, to look at porn, to blow up in anger, to harbor bitterness toward our spouse, every temptation that we face is rooted in a lie that Satan wants us to believe. So we exaggerate the truth, on our resume or wherever because we believe our value is found in what other people think of us. So we need to exaggerate our our reputation or whatever. We look at porn because we believe a lie that this will somehow satisfy a need for intimacy. We harbor bitterness because we believe a lie that in doing so, that, that, that doing so will be beneficial to us in some way. We believe a lie that our spouse is our enemy. See, these lies are significantly impacting our lives, our marriages, our attitudes. And, and so, so, what, so what needs to be our prayer in the midst of these things? If lying is the issue, what, I mean, these lies are the issue that we're believing. What needs to be our prayer? Lead us, Lord. Lead us into your truth, open our hearts to hear and embrace your truth, the truth that you can be trusted, the truth that you do love us, that you do have a plan for us, the the, the truth that sexual sin won't satisfy, the truth that forgiving our spouse is vitally important for our own health as well as the health of our marriage. Lead us, very, very important, battlefield prayer. Lead us, Lord, into truth. The second aspect of this battlefield prayer is deliver us. Deliver us. Deliver us from the evil one. This is very much in line with Nehemiah's prayer in this chapter, right? He's praying for deliverance from his enemies. And we can do the same thing. We must do the same thing. Our enemy is too strong. He is too strong. We can't battle him alone in our own power. We cannot. We need God to show up. We need God to deliver us. Now, from a New Testament perspective, we have something that Nehemiah didn't have, and that is the authority of Jesus who defeated Satan on the cross. Now, I know, I know this may sound weird to some of you. Maybe you're exploring Christianity. You're new to some of this. Stuff. I, I totally understand. Hang with me here. This, this may sound like it comes more from a horror movie or whatever. I totally get that. But, but the truth is, and I've seen this over and over again, demons are real. Demons are real, and they must submit to the name of Jesus, To the authority of Jesus. They won't submit to me. They won't submit to my authority or whatever. But they must submit to Jesus when his authority is used by a believer in Jesus. So when I'm praying through the Lord's Prayer, which is my regular pattern, I'll explain just more in a moment. But when when I'm doing that, I, I use the words of Jesus. So I will pray something like, deliver me from the evil one. Um, and, and then I often add something like this. Um, and now Jesus, I bring the fullness of your kingdom and your blood against the work of Satan and all his emissaries warring against me, warring against my family, warring against our church. I cut off every foul spirit in the name of Jesus. See, notice how in that prayer I am using the authority of the blood of Jesus in order to pray protection over myself and others. See, our, our victory over our enemy, it has already been won at the cross. And so, yeah, we, we still battle. We, we battle, but we battle in his strength. We battle in his authority through, through the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, what an amazing Savior we have. Without him, we would not be able to have victory in this battle. With him, we can. And so it is this Jesus, this Savior, who when teaching us to pray, includes a section on this battle, focused on this battle, which tells us, that should tell us, that this is an important aspect. It needs to be a regular part of our prayer lives. It needs to be a regular part of our prayer lives. We need to recognize the battle we are in and regularly pray about it. And I think we over we lose sight of this so often. We lose sight of this dimension of prayer. We forget we're in a battle and we just start believing these lies. And they start to feel true to us. And they're devastating our, they're devastating. They're devastating our marriages. They're 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 just wreaking havoc in every aspect of our lives. And we it's like we need to wake up and remember, hold it, this is a battle. I'm being lied to. And I need to embrace truth. And prayer becomes this all this awesome opportunity to regularly do that, to do battle in prayer. Okay, now before I bring all this together. <clears throat> I want to point out something um, that, that from, from the verse we just read a moment ago from Nehemiah. Remember in verse 9, <clears throat> Nehemiah says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard. I love that. I love that. There's such wisdom here. We prayed and we posted a guard. I mean, what a great perspective. In this battle we're talking about here, in this battle, we need both prayer and common sense action. Both are important. For instance, how many times do we pray for God to rescue us from our battle with pornography when what we really need to do is put a filter on our computer or our phone and give the password to our spouse or a parent or a friend? I mean, how many times do we pray for God to help us with our financial challenges when what we really need to do is cut up our credit cards that are causing us to spend more than we should be spending? Yes, we need to pray, but we also need to take action or the enemy will continue to wreak havoc. See, the truth is, for some of us here, we love our sin too much to take any real action. And that's why, oh, we keep praying about it, but we love our sin too much to take any real action. And that's why our prayers regarding this area don't seem to be helping. The problem is not the prayer part. It's the action part. Our responsibility to take action. He prayed and he posted a guard. Are we doing both of those things in our lives, in the battles we're facing? Because both of them are critically important. We can pray till our, we're blue in the face. If we're not posting a guard, if we're not taking action, the things we know we need to be doing, then, then, then we're going to continue to struggle in some of these areas where we're vulnerable. Okay, so, so back to what we've been learning about prayer from Nehemiah. I want to kind of summarize all this here. In these past few weeks, there are, there are several elements in, our, in his prayer life that we've talked about incorporating into our prayer life. So how can we do that? You know, how can we remember all these aspects of prayer and, and that we've been talking about and incorporate them into our prayer lives? Well, I want to show you how. I want to show you a very simple and yet life-changing way to do this. It's something that I've done for years. I've talked about it in other messages as well as in my book on the Holy Spirit called More. We, we actually do have a practical guide to help us pray like Nehemiah. That guide is the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we see all six elements that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. So by using the Lord's Prayer as a guide, we can begin incorporating all of these elements into our prayer life. In the Lord's Prayer, there are six primary sections, if you will, and and, and we have seen each one of them in Nehemiah's prayer life. So we put these into a diagram that you might find helpful. We'll show it here on the screen for a moment. Um, um, we have copies of this for you. If you'd like a copy at the next area, if you're interested, this is also in my book, uh, chapter 10 and, and uh, on a blog, a recent uh, a blog, you can go to my blog. I also see it there if you don't pick up one, but, but that, that diagram is very, very useful. Let me just walk through the six components of the Lord's prayer. Okay, so it begins with presence, presence, focusing on the presence of God, our Father in heaven. So this is where I start my prayer, by focusing my heart on the presence of God, on his love for me as my Father. So I might say, God, thank you that your love for me is not dependent upon my performance or my ability or, or my failures. You are my loving Abba. You are my loving Father. See, this is that come messy part. We talked about the first of this series, come messy, come loved. You know, we talked about this in week one. It's okay to come to God just as you are. He's a loving Heavenly Father. Come as you are. The second section praise. Hallowed be your name. In this section, in this, this prayer part, we express praise to God for who he is. And this is what Nehemiah did. And we can do the same thing. We can express our praise to God. You may want to play a, 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 or sing a worship song uh, on your iPhone or whatever, or tell God how awesome he is, but it's just to focus a couple moments or minutes on who God is and, and how holy his name is. The third section is purpose, your kingdom come. This is what KJ talked about a few weeks ago and his great message how in life, we're constantly confronted with these lies, the, I mean, with these, with these things that are not right. They're not as they should be. And then we see in the Bible, what is God's heart, right? What what things should be like. And and prayer helps us bridge that gap. This is not right. This is God's heart. We pray. Your, Your kingdom come is a prayer for God's rule and his reign, his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth, to make things right, to bring healing to brokenness and areas of injustice and all of those things, so in this section of our prayer time, when we get to this part, we're looking at any situation we're facing, any circumstance, and we're at that that's not the way it should be, and we are asking for God's kingdom to come into that situation. So a few weeks ago, as a church, we fasted and prayed about many of these areas of need in our community, for for families that are breaking up and for children who are under-resourced and for the emotionally broken and for the poor and for refugees in our community, for the spiritually lost. And and our prayer that week was, God, may your kingdom come into these circumstances. This is not right, and this is your heart, and so we want to pray your kingdom come. So that's that section of prayer. It could be about anything regarding the city or on uh, any people around us, their needs. Fourth section is provision. Give us today our daily bread. We talked about this last week. How at this point in the prayer we then pray for our own concerns, our daily concerns and need, and God cares about those things. We talked about this last week, so we can just spend time doing that. Just bring to God our personal desires and needs. Fifth section, pardon, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We talked about last week the importance of confessing our sins to God and Jesus also urges us here to examine our hearts to see if there's anything, anyone we need to forgive. And if so, we're to do it right then in prayer. And then the sixth section is protection. Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. one we just talked about today. So, so in the Lord's prayer, think about this. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus taught us this prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we have this amazing description of all the key aspects of prayer. See, for some of us here, for some of us, I would just suggest that our biggest problem in prayer is that our prayer life has become one-dimensional. All we pray about is provision. It's become one-dimensional. We only pray for God's provision. We only pray for our needs. And we're missing these other vitally important aspects of prayer. So in the Lord's Prayer... We have this wonderful pattern that we can use in prayer to guide us. This is not a ritual. It's not a requirement. It's not the only way to pray. But for me personally, this has revolutionized my prayer life. I have used the Lord's Prayer as my prayer pattern for several years. It has been so incredibly helpful to me. Again, there are copies of this in the next area. You can find it on the blog and, or chapter 10 of my book more. But <clears throat> so, so we want to just get that resource to you. But there's one other aspect of this that I haven't mentioned. It's right in the center of the diagram. If you pick up the diagram, you'll see it there. And that's the word prompting. Prompting. We want to make sure that we realize this diagram is not a formula for prayer. You know, I got to do this, I got to do this. It's not a formula It's a guide, right? And prayer is ultimately about relationship. And so the spirit wants to be a vital part of our prayer lives where we listen to his voice. And so it is this prompting dynamic that can make prayer a way of life for us. I mean, on one hand, we want and need to establish a regular rhythm of prayer where we spend time, we set aside time to spend with God, we're praying through the things that we talk about. Absolutely important. But there is another dimension of prayer that is much more conversational. In fact, Nehemiah demonstrates this in such a cool way. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter two, verse four. Nehemiah has been praying about approaching the king with this request to take a leave of absence and go help his people. So he's in the middle of this conversation with the most powerful man on earth at this time. And Notice what happens. Look at this. This is a classic here. Verse 4. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. I love this. This has to be the shortest prayer on record in the entire Bible, right? It's got to be about two seconds long here, right? The king asks Nehemiah a question, and in the second or two he has before he answers the question, Nehemiah prays. I love this. Under his breath, Nehemiah sends up an arrow prayer to God. Again, one or two seconds long. God help me. I mean, this is a man who lives prayer. This is a man for whom prayer is a way of life. Yes, there are times, as we saw in chapter 1, where Nehemiah takes time, he sets aside time to pray in all the areas we mentioned. Absolutely, that's important, that's foundational. But in his prayer life was not limited to those times alone with God. He also prays throughout his day. He enjoys this conversational relationship with God. And God invites all of us to the same prayer experience. He invites us to make prayer both of these, to make it a regular part of our lives establishing a consistent rhythm for time alone with him. And he invites us to this ongoing moment-by-moment relationship where we can pray anytime. Both of those are important. And for some of us, I think our prayer life is just this. It's just the conversational piece. I think God's inviting us into a richer, more foundational experience by also making time here and other, others of us perhaps, oh yeah, we have our prayer time, we're regular prayer time. But we've forgotten this conversational 24-7 dynamic of prayer. Anytime, these second prayers that you know, we can utilize. And so God invites us to this ongoing experience, moment-by-moment moment relationship, where we can pray at any time. In the seconds before we have to take a test. God help me, Uh, or perform in a piano recital, or or talk to our boss, or text a girl about going out with us. We can pray, okay? (laughs) We can pray as we're driving in our car, as we're walking in our neighborhood, as someone's name just pops into our head out of the blue. We can pray in that moment. I mean, what an amazing privilege we have in prayer. We have a God who wants us to pray, who invites us to make prayer a part of our everyday lives. And the more frequently we we say yes to his invitation, the more deeply our hearts will be connected to him, connected to his heart. So let's say yes to this invitation. Amen. Let's, Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, come. Pray that you would lead this prayer time as we respond to your word. So I want to give a couple of areas of invitation here. For first invitation, there are, there, there are some of you here, you need to understand that this battlefield praying we're talking about, this privilege of intimacy with God, it's, it is given as a gift to us. And the reality is, if you don't know Jesus, you have no weapon against the enemy. You cannot resist him in your own authority. You need Jesus. You need the blood of Jesus. You need a relationship with Jesus in order to battle the enemy. And I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm just telling you the way it is. The Bible tells a story in Acts, the book of Acts where some guys try to cast a demon out of someone and, and in their own power, and they you, you know, come out and all that stuff, and the demon says, I know who Jesus is, but I don't know who you are. And they beat him up. That's in there. Hey, the Bible's not boring. You, know, you, you may want to check the, the, that story out. It's pretty, pretty interesting. But the reality is we're in a battle, and without Jesus, we have no authority to do battle. And so I want to begin here in this prayer time by just inviting you to experience Jesus, to receive Jesus. There are some of you here and you are not certain you have a relationship with him. I'm not talking about whether you go to church and try to be a good person. That's not it. It's a gift you receive. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. and He, he urges us to receive this gift by admitting our need and placing our trust in him. And there are some of you here, and you know that you need to do that. You want a relationship with him. This is a a significant moment for you. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Just encourage you to pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy, and I'm not. My sin separates me from you, but I don't want to be separated from you. I wanna be in relationship with you. And even though there was nothing I could do to get to you, you did something. You came to me. You sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for my sin. You died in my place, Jesus. You took the penalty I should have paid. And I choose right now to place my trust in you, I bring to you my faults and fears and failures and sins, just all of me, and I place all of that on your shoulders, and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin, past, present, and future, and come live in me through the presence of your Spirit. I receive you, Jesus. Change me now from the inside out. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you that they are in a relationship with you. They now have you. And they can now walk in your authority, Jesus. And I thank you for that. I pray you'd help them grow in their relationship with you. Okay, now I want to, just for all of us here in this whole battlefield praying area, this, this first idea, lead me into truth. And I'm just wondering where... Is the enemy lying to you? Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to to see and realize where the enemy is lying to us? You'd expose his lies. And I pray that you would lead us into all truth. Lead us into all truth that we would embrace truth and expose these lies and stop living under the, the weight of these lies. So I just pray for that. Lead us, Lord Jesus, lead us into truth. And we also want to pray that you would deliver us, deliver us from the evil one. I pray for that deliverance. Lord, you would deliver us any areas, any places where the enemy is, is kind of harassing us or wreaking havoc in our lives. We pray that you would deliver us in the name of Jesus. In fact, I want us, what I want us to do, if you're comfortable doing this, you don't have to, but we just keep your eyes closed. But I'm gonna lead you in that prayer I mentioned earlier. And I want you just to pray this out loud. I'll, I'll kind of say a phrase and you say it after me and we're just going to walk through this kind of prayer of of deliver this prayer of protection. Okay, so I'm going to say a bit and then you say it out loud after me, all right? And we'll walk through this prayer. Okay? So here we go. And now, Jesus. And now, Jesus. I bring the fullness of your kingdom. I bring the fullness of your kingdom and your blood and your blood against the work of Satan against the work of Satan and all his emissaries and all his emissaries, warring against me, warring against me, against my family, against my family, and against our church and against our church. I cut off every foul spirit. I cut off every foul spirit in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, thank you for hearing this prayer deliver us. And I pray you would help us continue to grow in what it means to take the authority of Jesus and use it to drive back the enemy's work. And then finally, the area of prayer here, I just want to pray about for a moment this idea I prayed and I posted a guard. Where, where do you need to post a guard? It's the Holy Spirit saying to you, and maybe as you were hearing me talk about that or right now, Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you to show us where in our lives do we need to post a guard? Where is there some sin, some temptation that's eating our lunch and we're praying about it, but there's something we could do to close that portal, to, to, to post a guard there. And so I pray you would show us what that would be And that we would have the courage to follow through on that, Lord. God, I just pray for that. I pray that you would help us grow in prayer. That you, if the Lord's prayer would be helpful for some here, Lord, that we would establish a pattern of prayer that includes the way you taught us to pray. It would include all of these elements. And that it would be totally led of the Spirit, And I pray for both the regular time with you and this conversational relationship with you, Lord, that you would continue to cultivate that in our hearts, that you are with us 24-7. And we can pray about anything, and we can pray at any time, day or night. And you hear us. So help us grow. As we've learned from Nehemiah, help us grow in our prayer lives. We love you. Thank you for teaching us. Continue to teach us how to pray. All right, well, we have the opportunity to to worship the Lord, to celebrate the awesome Savior that he is. So we worship him together. So why don't you stand, whatever campus you're at, why don't we stand? Lord Jesus, set us free to worship you. We love you. We need you. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name.